Halloween is just around the corner, and Valley 101 continues to be haunted by spooks and spirits. From the ghastly glow of a theater's limelight to summer camp's shadows, we've encountered some spine-tingling brushes with the supernatural. Welcome to Spooky Season on Valley 101 a podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We cover stories from Metro Phoenix and from the Great Beyond. I'm your host and guide, Kaylee Monahan. In this episode, We'll hear some macabre tales from two Native American women that will haunt your nightmares. Our first storyteller is Mary Larson Bishop. She is of the Jolan Salinan tribe from Central California. And there has been a ghost roaming the woods nearby a river that flows close to the tribal lands. Mary's grandfather saw the woman alive before her ghost walked the woods. It was her husband who ignored a warning and ultimately doomed her to die. And now her spirit wanders the wilds. Mary shares the story from her phone. Way back in the 1800s, in a place called Halone Valley, that means the Valley of the Oaks, people used to homestead back up in there. This man, this woman, and their child were at this old store, and they wanted to cross over because they had a homestead. And at that time, people would steal your homestead if you weren't there to take care of it. Well, my dad, he was very young at the time, 
his dad told them, don't cross over the San Antonio River right now because it's at its peak and it's dangerous. Well, they didn't listen to him. They crossed. Only they didn't get across. They got about out in the middle of it, Papa said, and the wagon rolled. When the wagon rolled, everybody got thrown out. The baby went one way and the mother went, and when the wagon rolled, it cut the mother's head off. Well, the only thing the father could catch was the woman's body. Never did find that baby. So he took her and he buried her in the cemetery, which turned into military later on, but it's what they call the ammunition dump. He buried her up there. Well, as time went along, people become modernized and this and that and the other thing. And when they built this restaurant bar, in place of this other store that was there, the river run behind it. And sometimes they would see this lady walking along the riverbank with no head. That's why they've got the story called The Headless Lady. A lot of people say that she's looking for her baby. She wanders up there. I don't know what would happen if she did find it, if she didn't have a head. I worked in Hunter Liggett, and I used to go pick my friend up. She worked at the Hacienda, and I worked down below at the other one at the store. And in the evening, I would go pick her up, and at nighttime, the cooks would go up there to the mess hall and bake cakes and whatever else for the boys, for the men. Well, I went up there this one time, and I was sitting there drinking coffee, waiting for my friend to get done with her shift. And then the crew came in and they sat down and they were talking and I said, you guys ever hear of the headless lady? Of course, everybody's ears perked up and no, what is it? And I said, well, she wanders. 
Every once in a while, people see her walking around. In the meantime, the sergeant that was sitting there got up off the table and went upstairs unbeknownst to these fellas, and they had wooden shutters. It was a hacienda that Hearst had built years ago. And I said, you boys need to keep your eyes and ears open. I said, you might see her walking around. Sergeant Cullen slammed that shutter up there. And every one of them men got up and left. I'm, I mean, they didn't just walk out, they ran out. The, the commander, oh, he got on my case for telling that story to scare those men. And I told him, it's a true story. She wanders. And I think that they still see her now. Once in a while, people still do see her. My name is Amber Blazer Wardzella. I'm a Anishinaabe from White Earth Reservation in Minnesota. Amber is currently a graduate student in Arizona State's creative writing program. She recently had a horror story published in a book called Never Whistle at Night, an indigenous dark fiction anthology. She explains the inspiration for her story. I got the idea for the story in the summer of 2021. The idea came to me because when I was actually at Denison University, I was the only Indigenous student in the whole school. So there's a lot of feeling of being tokenized that came with that position, whether intentional or unintentional, it just had that feeling to it. And so I'd always wanted to do something with that story, uh, that idea of being tokenized in an institution. And so once I had graduated, it felt like I was far enough removed from that feeling to try and play around with that idea. So that's where the inspiration for the horror story I wrote came from. The story I'm going to tell is about a young Anishinaabe woman named Migas who is going to school in a university where she is the only Indigenous student. She is working at a restaurant where she really hates her job. She's not very good at being a waitress. People keep telling her that she'll get better at it, that things will improve, but she just doesn't want to be there. She wants to find another way to be able to support herself while in school. And so the semester is coming to an end and she is really hoping to get an internship for the summer so that she can take care of herself. And because of needing an internship, she decides to go to an after party, an end of the semester party at her professor's house that she had been invited to.
her professor is a white woman who she had taken a literature class with named Professor Smith. And Professor Smith had always seemed very caring and like wanting to be an ally in situations, but Migas had never quite felt comfortable around her because um, the professor had been using a name for her that wasn't her correct name. Professor Smith couldn't pronounce or didn't want to try to pronounce the name Migas, so she nicknamed Migas Meg. But despite this, Migas decides to go to the professor's party. When she arrives at the party, she walks in the door and she immediately is hit with seeing a human head hanging on the wall of the professor's house in the entryway. Migas' last person to arrive to the party, there are a bunch of other of the students gathered and in the living room, and none of them have seemed to have noticed the head on the wall, nor the several heads that are in the living room as well. And Migas is thinking about leaving the party immediately upon walking in, but before she can, the professor spots her and drags her into the house where she is greeted with even more heads. And what she's noticing is all the heads are of people of color or of non-binary people as well. So there's a lot of diversity upon the walls of this professor's house. And once in there, Migas has a conversation with her professor for a little bit, kind of about why she's late to the party. And then the professor gets called away by her husband, and Migas is looking around at her classmates, trying to figure out why all of them have absolutely no reaction to the heads on the walls. And she spots one of her friends who she had had several classes with named Trevor and she goes up to Trevor and she asks him what he thinks about the decor. And he's like, oh yeah, everyone knew about that. Professor Smith collects heads, and then one of our other professors actually collects the full stuffed bodies of students as well. They've been doing it for years. It's nothing that unusual, really.
And Migas tries to kind of talk sense into Trevor, be like, well, how does she even acquire these heads? Where do they come from? And Trevor is just laughing and thinks that her questions about this whole situation is really funny. And he said, you know, you're not the only one who is freaked out about this. Tracy was actually freaked out, too, and she laughed. And, you know, it really upset Professor Smith. I bet it's going to end up affecting Tracy's grade. And Migas is happy to hear that Tracy was also upset about it, but she realizes the reason that Tracy was upset was because Tracy was also a person of color, and they were the only two people of color in Professor Smith's class. And so it clicks with her. And then Migas realizes what Trevor had said about the fact that it's going to hurt Tracy's grade. And Migas asked Trevor, what do you mean? Has she not submitted final grades yet? And he said, no, she hasn't. And Migas realizes she can't leave, even if there wasn't a recommendation letter that she needed. She's at the school on a scholarship. And so if she were to leave and offend Professor Smith, it can end up hurting her grade and losing her her scholarship. So she stays at the party. Professor Smith comes up to her again, and Trevor tells Professor Smith about the fact that Migas is really uncomfortable with the heads, and so Professor Smith takes Migas by the arm and starts leading her around the house and introducing her to all the heads and explaining the stories behind the people who are now mounted on her walls. And what Migas begins to realize is they're all former students of Professor Smith who she had helped in some way. And the payment for her helping them was that they donated their heads to her wall collection. And so Migas is once again trying to figure out how to get out. Professor Smith is continuing to tell her all these stories about the people on the walls. And then she lets slip that she has all the races collected except for one she hasn't collected an indigenous head yet. And Migas is starting to put together the pieces of why Professor Smith has seemed so interested in her throughout the semester. And so Migas is trying to politely excuse herself. She's been there for a while. She thinks the professor can't actually be mad now if she leaves, can't dock her up great because she could stay and dedicate some time to the evening. And so 
She's starting to try to leave. And then Professor Smith tells her that she can help her get a publishing deal, which was Miga's big secret dream. And Professor Smith goes into detail about how she can help her become a really well-known name in the world. And Migas is drawn in by it and goes and sits down on the couch with Professor Smith to hear more about how Professor Smith can help her. You can read Amber's full story, Collections, in the book Never Whistle at Night. Her first full-length novel is currently in production. And here on Valley 101, spooky season continues next week. Not only his wife, but his mother-in-law, who was in love with him, started leaving candles on this site. And over time, people began this tradition of visiting it. And the idea goes that if, and this is again something that's fundamental in Mexican folklore, Mexican-American, is that oftentimes you'll have these figures that are called folk saints. And they're liminal figures that are sort of stuck in purgatory. And so this spirit, not being allowed into heaven, didn't quite make it into hell because he wasn't like a totally evil person, then became basically an intermediary between the living and the spiritual realm. My colleague and fellow producer Amanda Luberto makes a journey south to a shrine of dubious origins. Did this episode give you chills? Then share the terror with a friend. Also, subscribe to Valley 101 on your favorite podcasting app. That is, if you don't want us haunting you. Rate and review us as well. And if this episode gave you a good fright, give us five stars. This episode was edited and produced by me, Kaylee Monahan. Special thanks to our guests for sharing these tales with us. My assistant in frights and queen of creepiness is Amanda Luberto. Without her, this episode would have remained in the grave. Our fearless leader, Kathy Tulamello, provided editorial guidance. Scoring and sound effects are by Universal Productions Music. 
have a spooky story of your own, or just a question about Metro Phoenix, share it with us on valley101.azcentral.com. You can also find us on social media at AZC Podcasts. Valley 101 is an Arizona Republic and AZ Central production. I'm Kaylee Monahan. Until next week, beware of suspicious parties.